This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And I don't know about you, but I love questions. Questions are powerful if we have the courage to honest. Is that Joseph right there? Hey, man, I was just telling him how awesome you are. So thank you for being with us this morning. Um, I know you've got to get to the airport, but we are grateful for you. Um, They're powerful if we have the courage to honestly ask and answer. Because the reality is there's some things in your life, there's some things in my life that we become good at ignoring. And questions have a way of causing us to confront the reality of something that we're dealing with. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning that you, you owe it to yourself to honestly ask and honestly answer. And here's the question. When you talk to you, what do you say? This isn't going to work out. I don't know if I can do this. This relationship's going to end like all the others. It's too late in life for me to try to start over. Too much has happened for this to be repaired. When you talk to you, what do you say? It's important because what echoes in your head reverberates in your life. Maybe a different way to ask it. If someone else talked to you the way you talk to you, would you still be friends? See, some of you, some of you, you need to unfollow you. Because the way you talk to yourself, it does two things. What you say to yourself really in life does two things. It reveals what you think about you. Like, we're in this place, especially if you're a Christ follower, we know what we're supposed to believe, that we are so deeply loved by God that he gave his only son to die on a cross and pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin. He shed his blood for us. He was innocent. We are guilty. We're all broken and messed up. We all have sin in our lives. And so Jesus paid the price that you and I could not pay because sin required a perfect sacrifice. Three days later, he got up from the dead. We, we know we're supposed to believe we're that loved, but do you tell yourself on a loop day by day how unlovable you are? We know what we're supposed to think, but what do you really think? It's called self-talk. It's the things we say over and over again to ourselves. It's an ongoing negative loop that is created. Not only does what you say to yourself reveal what you think about you, what you say to yourself creates an atmosphere around you. If you ever encounter someone who's highly negative, what you need to understand is that they are more negative with themselves usually than anyone else. They may hide it well. Usually highly negative people come across as right about everything in their own mind. But if it's gotten to the point that it's oozing out like that, where it's impacting the other relationships, 
Inside, it's even at a greater level. What you say about yourself is powerful. The thoughts you have are powerful. But listen, you're more powerful than your thoughts. And you and I can't control what pops in our mind. We can control how long it stays there. There are some thoughts you need to kick out. They don't need to live in there anymore. And how you process and how long you process is really up to you. But, but what you say to yourself is powerful. In fact, there was this lady, Matthew chapter 9, this lady's had an issue of blood, is how the Bible describes it, for about 12 years, a little over 12 years. It was debilitating. She couldn't function in society. She couldn't go anywhere. She dealt with day in, day out. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether it's the holidays or vacation time or a regular Monday. There's this issue that has really changed her entire life, limited her relationships, and caused an inability to live the way everybody else lived. And she decides, because Jesus is coming through town, I need to get to Jesus because he can heal me. But Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, there's, there's an interesting phrase. The Bible says, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And the scripture teaches that when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, he said, who touched me? And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, bro, it's pretty crowded. I, I, think, the Jesus, I think the disciples call Jesus bro. It, it's, it's pretty crowded, at least in my translation. It's pretty crowded. A lot of people are touching you. And he's like, no, 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 who touched me? Because not everybody that touches you touches you. Who touched me? And this lady's life is changed. She's healed through the power of Jesus. But why? She said to herself, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, if I can just get there, I'll be healed. If she had said what you say sometimes to yourself, if she had said what I say sometimes to myself, there's no point. I, I know he's done it for others, but he probably won't do it for me. It's too embarrassing if I go out with the condition I have. That, that would be too uncomfortable. It's too awkward. People, people are going to be watching this is just my life. There's nothing I can do about it. But instead, she said to herself, it all began, what she got from Jesus and what he was able to do in her life, it all began by what she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom. If you're a Christ follower, maybe you've, maybe you've read some in Proverbs. If you're, if you're not a Christ follower and you're hanging out with us this morning, maybe somebody invited you or, or, or maybe you're just trying to figure out, hey, is God real? Is there really a God that loves me? It sounds too good to be true. And you're kind of exploring faith and what this all means. The book of Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom. We believe the entire Bible, all the Bible is the word of God. We believe it's inspired by God. We believe it's the living word. In fact, it's the only book, it's way better than a book. It's really ancient documents, but it's the only book that's ever been written that while you read it, it reads you. It is a living book that has the power to inform and change your life. It is, the Bible says it's the very breath of God, the word of God. And Proverbs, this book of wisdom, I love this, Proverbs chapter four, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. The thoughts you're currently thinking are perfectly designed to give you the life you're currently living. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. There's something called the law of cognition. 
Basically, the law of cognition says what you think determines what you believe, and what you believe determines how you feel, and what you feel determines what you do. And it all begins right here with the conversations that you have with you, the quietest conversations, in fact, the silent conversations are the loudest and have the most profound impact in your life and mine. Dr. Paul David Tripp said, quote, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do, end quote. So in the conversations you have with yourself, day by day as you talk to you, throughout the day, the things that you repeat, for a long time, when I would do something stupid, I would say, and sometimes even out loud, you're so stupid. Now, some of you might not disagree, but I, I, would, I had that on repeat for a long time, and it was hard to break that habit. But in the conversations that you have with you, are you, are you talking yourself into a life that you hate? Because of how you think and what you're feeding you, Proverbs also says in Proverbs 18, words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. Now, I'm not talking about ignoring reality. Some of you, the thoughts you think you process because you've walked through some very painful things. You've dealt with some difficult circumstances. You've overcome a lot. And the reality is those things are part of your story. I'm not talking about living in some delusional way where we pretend nothing ever went wrong. But I am talking about how we go further and we take moments of life and create stories in what we tell ourselves that build our entire life. It happened. It was painful. It was unfair. We're so sorry you had to walk through that, but it was a moment. It can shape and can inform how you think, but you can take that moment and allow God to use it and create a momentum in your life of pursuing him and loving him and loving others and helping you understand that everybody you lock eyes with has walked through pain in, your, in their lifetime, some more than yours, some less than yours. Or you can let it create a momentum in your life, that moment create a momentum of negativity. You choose. So I wonder, what, what dreams have been killed because of how you talk to you? What relationships had no chance from the beginning because of how you talk to you? What atmosphere is being created in your home because of how you talk to you? What potential never made it into your today because of how you talk to you. For many of us, one of the most damaging things to our mental health is habitual negativity. And it's not just a mental issue, it's a, it's a spiritual issue. Because the Bible says that you and I are created in the image of God, we're made in the image of God. The Bible says that we have a God that loves us so much, he's invited us to call him Father. 
The Bible says that we're invited to approach him with boldness and to talk to him about life and to share our struggles and share our stresses. The Bible says that our God leans in toward the brokenhearted. The Bible says that God cares deeply about all the details of our lives. That, that's the reality. We are made in the image of God, and it is a spiritual issue when you talk worse about you to yourself than what God thinks about you. Romans chapter 8. I love this passage. In fact, I love Romans. We spent, we spent 30, 30 weeks walking verse by verse through the book of Romans, and, and I loved it. We, 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 might, we might should just do it again. I mean, if they can show TV shows more than once, we could do that. Why not? But this morning, I just want to give you a couple verses that I think are profound. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Don't, don't just read that and move on. We miss so many things by casually glancing at the Word of God and focusing on what's happening in our world. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Are you often discouraged? Do you live in constant frustration? Does worry consume your thoughts? When discouragement and frustration and worry are a frequent part of your life, it could be that your mind is set on the things of this world. One of the things that I often struggle with, I, I am blessed to get to be your pastor, but I'm just a guy. I'm on the journey of life just like you are. And there are great days and there are suck egg days. I mean, it's just part of life. But one of the things that, that I wrestle with personally it's often easier for me to receive who God is than to rest in what God says. It's often easier for me to acknowledge Jesus is my Savior. I mean, I know he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. Like, I, I believe that. I believe that. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, the brother of Jesus said, hey, he's the Son of God. Now, now think about that. Think about that. What would it take for your brother to say about you, he's God? She's got, like, that's profound. And anybody that can predict their death and resurrection three days later and pull it off, I just believe whatever they say. And so Jesus is the son of God. Like, I've got that on lockdown. I don't doubt that. I believe that. And we all have different things we struggle with and some things we believe and other things that are hard to believe. That's just one thing for me. I don't have a hard time believing that. It's easier for me to receive who God is than to rest in what God says. I believe Jesus is the Savior, but the fact that he loves me unconditionally and says that, sometimes I struggle with that. The fact that he says he forgives all of my sin, wow. And sometimes, if we're not careful, church and our spiritual lives and this pursuit of a community of faith we can, we can receive who God is. But resting in who he says he is, is hard. And part of the reason is we've allowed our voice to be louder than his. And we tell ourselves more about ourselves than we let him tell us. But when your mind is set 
on the things of God, peace fills your life. Now, is, that, is it really a big deal? I mean, some of you might say, man, is it really a big deal? I mean, I know I'm kind of negative. I was just, just kind of wired this way. It's just kind of how I'm made. I get so weary. I get so weary of people saying, this is just how I am, often as a license and excuse to just be rude to other people. This, this is just how I'm wired. This is you, just, it's who I am. Wait, 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 wait a minute. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God has invaded your life, if God is really God, he should be big enough to transform you and change you and nobody should be stuck ever in, this is just who I am. But that's... You, you feel that way because it's the story that you've told you about you. Just how I am. Th- th- this is just the way I think. I just, I'm, I'm just kind of negative. No, you're a jackass. Stop it. <laughs> Biblical word, King James, look it up. Not cussing. Don't, don't allow your excuses to drive you to less of a life than God created you for. And don't ignore the reality of things that God may want to change in your life. And stop excusing away poor behavior and bad thinking. It doesn't benefit you. Some people have developed a condition. And it's a dangerous condition. It can be fatal unless you change it. It's called negativity bias. Neuroscience tells us that negative thoughts move into our brains more quickly and last longer than positive thoughts. We know that. I I can prove it to you. If you're doing a seminar at work, you you teach some seminar, and when you finish teaching that, 10 different people, you you finish and over the next 10 minutes, 10 different people walk up and say, that was awesome. Man, you held my attention. Somebody else says, that wasn't boring at all. Somebody else says, have you thought about a career in speaking? Holy cow. 10 different people, that was awesome. And then as you're leaving, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, and you walk, you walk by that table where you hear one person say, I fell asleep three times. That was terrible. I don't think I could, li- next time, if that's the speaker, I'm not coming. The rest of the day and the rest of the week, what 10 people said, you don't even think about. You think about the one and you, re- you, might, you might even disagree with him. You might think if you could debate, you would prove your case. You might want to punch him in the throat. But, but the reality is, what they said got in there quicker and sank deeper. The negativity about you. In the same way, what you say to you about how you just can't do it. This is just who you are. You're always going to be a screw-up. You can't rebound this time. There's not enough time to make things right. They probably won't forgive you. Your kids would be better off with a different parent. The world would be better off without you here. The things that you say to you, they, they sink deeper into you than the kind things people say to you throughout the day. And in day-to-day life, when you focus on the negative, you, your mind creates these negative neural pathways. We talked about it a little bit last week. And negative moves from an emotion you feel to a life that you live. The mind governed by the flesh is death. So what is the area in your life that you have an inclination to go negative? What area of your life does negativity creep into 
the most often. This morning, for the next couple minutes, I, I want to give you four different silos, four different primary areas where negativity can get in our lives. And, and as you hear these, ask yourself, what is my biggest struggle? And some of you are overachievers. It's going to be more than one. But, but where do I wrestle with negativity? The first one is this, believing the worst. Believing the worst. You're cynical in your relationships. You find it hard to trust people. You constantly question people's motives. This, this one has been a huge battle in my life. I am on the other side of it, but one thing about battles, they come and go. Doesn't mean it won't come back again. But years ago, before C3, in fact, in January, we're going to celebrate the 15th anniversary of C3. It's incredible what God's done over 15 years. So next Sunday is a big day, one year in this building, January, 15 years. But I pastored a different church before this church. And God really put it on my heart and some of the leadership to move the church in a direction where we really went after people that felt far from God, people that were not connected to church. 86% of people that live in Florida do not go to church even Christmas and Easter. And there are a lot of good churches for church people, and that's what, that's what the previous church was. And so as pastor, I began to feel like God was leading us in a new direction and began to lead the church in that direction. And listen, I should have gotten an award for this. We grew from 1,600 to 400. And people, the, the level of hate and the stuff, you, you can almost say anything about me now, and I'm like, yeah, add it to the list. I mean, I wouldn't like me if I believed half of what they said about me, and I wouldn't go to my church if I believed a third of what they said about me. It's just the way some people are. But what it did, I allowed it to be damaging to me and that I stopped trusting people. Some of these people were my closest friends that left. Some of these people, Angie and I are kids, we'd gone on vacation with them. Some of these people, they knew what they were saying was a lie. They knew it, but it didn't matter. And that level of betrayal, man, it made it, I'm just being honest, it made it really hard to trust people. It, it, it began to feel like, you know, people would start coming to the church, this is the greatest church ever. And in my mind, I think, you'll be gone in six months. That wasn't a them problem, that was a me problem. And some of you, you, you have experienced betrayal so much deeper than I have. If you could walk on the platform and share your story, man, we, we would all agree, man, you, that, there's no greater pain. But when you've walked through something like that, if you're not careful and if you're not intentional about how you think and what you say to yourself, it will become very hard to trust people. It will be very easy to automatically, without thinking, just like breathing. Like, when you breathe, there's nobody in the room thinking, oh, take a breath, take a breath. Oh, I took, take another one. Like, you just breathe without thinking. And if you're not careful, what will happen is your heart can be so damaged and your mind can be so impacted that you just decide they're bad. They're going to hurt me. This isn't going to go well. Job probably won't go well. Financially, it's probably going to be a wreck. You just believe the worst. God, through his word, through prayer, through my bride, who's amazing, through some close friends who've been patient with me, has really worked in this area of my life. And it's, it's not like it was, I'm, I'm able to trust again. Is it a little bit scary? Yeah. 
but I would, I would rather trust and experience life and risk getting hurt again than live in the dark hole that I lived in for a few years. But some of you, is it believing the worst? Is that you? The, the second silo of negativity we can get stuck in, selective negativity. Selective negativity. In your relationships, in the events of your day, on your calendar, you focus about the worst possible thing. You overlook all the good things and you, you only see the worst thing. You, you, you went on vacation, you went to the mountains and it was beautiful, but one day it rained and all you talk about is the day that it rained and how bad that day was. You, you had this relationship where this person did so many amazing things, but one time they did something you didn't like and that is your focus. Your kids get, aren't home at the time they're supposed to be home and your mind goes to the worst case scenario. And you begin to tell yourself things that so far, every single, so far, every single time you've thought that, for the vast majority of you, not all of you, but the vast majority, every time you've thought that, it, it wasn't true. Or you text somebody. You shoot a text and you see those, those three little dots, like they're responding. Those three dots mean wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. But have you ever texted somebody, you te- send them a text, and then you see those dots for a little bit, and then the dots go away, and they don't send anything. And in your mind, you think, they're mad at me. I, did, I must have hurt their feelings. Like, it must have been so bad what they were going to send me, they can't, even, they can't even put it in writing. They hate my guts now. I mean, you just, your, your mind goes there. You, you can tell everybody what's wrong with the restaurant, but not the 10 things that happened that were awesome. You can tell everybody, well, at our church, they do this and we don't like it. And you gloss over 170 people met Jesus in the last 12 months. Like you, you just have selective negativity. You have trained your mind to go to the thing you don't like and that becomes your world and it's all you see because it's what you've told yourself to see. That's why people leave churches. I don't find too many places in the New Testament where somebody says, I feel called to a different, I'm going to change churches in the same city. You don't find that garbage. People talk themselves into it. That's a different message. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Stay focused. (laughs) Believe the worst, selective negativity. The third one is this, collective thinking. Collective thinking. Man, in our culture, in this nation, the way everything has gone so wills off, This is an epidemic. If you had a mean teacher, all teachers are mean. If your wife had an affair, you can't trust any women. If your husband lied to you, all men are liars. If your obnoxious neighbor is a Republican, all Republicans are obnoxious. If you disagree with somebody about one issue, you write off the whole person. Collective thinking. And we're all supposed to think, if you say this, if you think this, then you deserve to just be kicked out of culture and erased. Your life has no value because you think something I disagree with and and I'm right about everything. Do do you understand? (laughs) One day you're going to stand before a God in heaven and you're going to figure out you weren't right about everything, especially you Giants fans. Like, (laughs) it's going to be a moment. You can boo all you want. One team beat you this year. It may not happen again, but I'm proud of that one. <laughs> but listen, what, collective thinking, if you're not careful, th- this is where we, we label people, where we categorize people. 
This is where we put people in categories, and our culture is driving us to this because you're supposed to think every white person is privileged. What the crap? You don't know their story. Are you kidding me? We buy into what culture says, and it's louder than what God says? Every black person is this. Every Hispanic person is this. And across the board, we're, that's, just, that's, just, that's what we're supposed to think. No, no, no. What I read is every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by a holy God, and there is one race, and it is called the human race. And there are different ethnicities, but do not allow the garbage thinking that is happening in culture to cause you to live in the gutter in your mind of assigning things to people that you don't even know. That is ridiculous. It's weak thinking and it's simple-minded. Collective thinking. And when you think like this, you act like a jerk to the people you've labeled. And your family asked me to tell you today that nobody likes you. <laughs> Not really. I didn't get any emails about this. Nobody knew what I was going to talk about. Stop it. I'm asked all the time, did my wife send you an email? And I, my kids told me this week, Dad, every time you do a voice, it's like some old country. Like it's the same voice every time. I don't know why. But listen, if you're always right and your opinion is the only one that's valid, I've learned that people who constantly look for who's holding them down or what group is holding them down, you know what I've noticed? They never get up. People who live their lives thinking about who's holding them back, you know what I've noticed? They never move forward. And you might be right about a few things, but just because you're right doesn't mean you're righteous. The negative silos, believing the worst, selective negativity, collective thinking, and this one, chronic blaming. It's always somebody else's fault. Everything wrong in your life is the result of somebody's bad intentions, somebody's mistake, what somebody else did to you. you. You live with a victim mentality wondering why you're never victorious. You talked yourself out of victory a long time ago because the story you tell you is it's their fault and you've never learned to take responsibility for your own life. Hey, I don't know about you. I don't know your whole story. I don't pretend to. I just know that in my life, the person who's caused me more harm and damage than anyone else is the guy I see in the mirror. It's my own choices, my own mistakes, my own sin, and living the consequences of those often. Someone took your position. Someone got in your way. Somebody took your toy. They never gave you a chance. And you live daily as a victim of circumstances of people and life. You'll never get anywhere in life because you've told yourself the deck is stacked against you. But you know what I've noticed? I've never, in 50 none of your business years, I've never met anybody that blamed their way to a better life. I've never met the first person. Better life comes by taking responsibility for your choices and for who you are. And I just love you enough to tell you the truth even if you don't like it. The reality is you have to take responsibility for your own spiritual condition. You have to take responsibility for the spiritual condition of your family. You have to take responsibility for how you think. Nobody else can cause that. You, you can't control what happens to you, but you have absolute 100% control as to how you respond to it. 
So how do we do this? I mean, if, that's, if we're stuck in this negativity, how can you change this? How, what do we do? Listen, the change won't just happen. It's not going to just randomly happen one day. This change, moving from a negative mindset and negative thoughts and what you have on repeat in your mind and the words you say to yourself about how bad things are, it's one of the hardest changes you can make in life. But hear me, hear me. It is worth it, and I believe every single person in this room can do it. Every single person in this room can do it. It won't just happen. You, you won't just wake up one day and, oh, I don't feel negative anymore. I mean, that's not going to happen. This takes work. It won't be easy, but it is much easier than living the rest of your life with a negative mindset and the impact that's going to have on the people you love the most. 1 Samuel chapter 30. The Bible says, when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. They come home and the home's gone. All the early earthly possessions are gone. They're destroyed. And their wives and their kids are slaves now to the captives that took them. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. Hard name of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Is that you? The pain is so deep. The unimaginable, it happened. Your worst nightmare, you're living. The anxiety is overwhelming. The fear almost debilitating. And in the middle of this tsunami of negativity, David found strength in the Lord his God. If you need strength in life, the only place you're going to find authentic strength, the only place you're going to find sustaining strength, the only place you're going to find a strength that will carry you through anything is in a relationship that is personal with the holy God that has invited you to call him father. It's the only place it's found. The King James Version in this verse says he encouraged, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Have you learned to do that? When life's hard, when you have more questions than answers, when you're confused and it's chaotic and you're in pain, have you learned to encourage yourself in the Lord? Every single day, we absorb negativity at a greater rate in some ways than has ever been known to man. We have more access to bad news than anyone who's ever lived. We absorb the negativity, and some of you even more. It's not just what's happened out there. It's what's happened in here and in your own life. And your, your sponge is full. It feels like you can't take anymore. There's been so much negativity. But each day you just take it in and take it in and take it in. And if you don't learn to encourage yourself in the Lord, you will live a life discouraged by a cruel world. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. How, how did he do it? What did he say? We have no idea. The passage that this, in this text doesn't tell us. But we do know what he said many times when he was in distress. 
many times when he was in pain and discouraged. We do have a record in the scriptures. We, we know what David said to David when David talked to David. Psalm 103, verse 8, he said, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. But then in Psalm 86, verse 15, he said, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It sounds so similar. And then in chapter 145 of Psalms, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. David, David kept telling himself the same thing. He chose the words that he would tell himself in the midst of great pain and in the midst of struggle and tragedy. But here's the reality. You and I in this life take so much for granted. We live so casually when it comes to our faith that we wait to seek God until crisis hits. And then when crisis hits, we go trying to run to God and trying to figure out a prayer. And man, I need to, I need to get back in church. And we, we, rather than preparing for crisis that's coming, because let me just tell you, Jesus himself, who never lied, said, in this life, you will have trouble. It's going to be bad. So somehow David, over and over again, this statement that he uses in different Psalms, when life is bad, what he's telling himself, the words he's saying to himself in those personal, intimate conversations, where did that come from? I'm so, I'm so glad you asked that because I wanted to answer. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Moses, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. David reached back and was able to reach back in his life to scripture that he had meditated on. He'd hidden the word of God in his heart. He spent a little bit of time with God each day. So when crisis hit, he didn't have to start to look for how do I begin the process. It was already there. He had the word of God inside him and the time he'd spent with God informed him about the struggle he's walking walking through now. If David had never spent time reading the word of God, he would have never had that verse in his soul to recall and remind himself of life-giving truth. Some of you, one of the greatest things you can do is start taking, start taking advantage of one of the greatest gifts of God, which is the word of God. And it's such easy access. You have paper Bibles in your home. If not, on any device, on a computer, you can access the Word of God. version, an incredible app, Y-O-U version. It's the Word of God, all different translations. There are daily Bible readings. If you want to do three days on prayer, if you want to do five days on forgiveness, if you want to do a 60-day reading plan on marriage, daily devotions that will guide your time with God. We have no excuse. And version, it's free. And I know you all love some free 99. Like, you, it's free. Can you imagine if you had access to $10 billion at home in your closet and you never opened it, never utilized it? But what God has given us is more precious than any amount of money will ever be because in this life you will have trouble. And when trouble hits your life, the only answer you have that brings peace, the only answer I have that brings peace, a sustaining peace, a peace that will get you through, a peace not based on fantasy but based on faith in reality that God loves you, the only answer you have is the word of God and what you tell yourself. My uncle, I grew up in Texas, my uncle was a huge cattle rancher. Had hundreds and hundreds of acres. In fact, when he sold his ranch, some of you that are in the, the little bit older group in the room 
might remember the TV show Dallas, South Fork Ranch. When my uncle sold his ranch, he went to South Fork and managed that until he died. And so I was at his place a lot. His ranch was like 15 minutes from my house and cows. I remember the first time they put me in a pen with a calf. One of my earliest memories in life, that, I mean, it ran straight over me. First time I ever had the wind knocked out of me, and I looked over, and my dad and my uncle are laughing. I thought, my dad's laughing that I'm dying. I'm dying today, <laughs> and my dad's laughing. But I learned a little bit about cows. I'm not an expert. Just a little bit about cows with my uncle. And cows, when they, when they eat grass, they chew it up and they swallow it, and then they throw it back up and chew it some more and swallow it, and then later they throw it back up and chew it some more. It's called chewing their cud because they want to get every ounce of nutrition that they can out of that grass. When it comes to the Word of God, it's something that you and I take into our lives. And there will be moments we need to bring it back up and chew on it some more and get more nutrition for our soul out of what God teaches. And then other moments later, we need to bring it back up and and chew on it some more. It's called ruminating. And the word meditate in Scripture can be translated to, to ruminate. It's where you and I spend time in God's Word And we allow God's word to get into us so that when stuff hits the fan, you have access to something you've already planted there. It is infinitely more difficult to go into the hard things in life empty of the word of God. You want it to already be there. I wonder, do you do you need a negativity fast? Some of you, you, you need to take a fast from news. Like the negativity that's on the news, does it make you angry when you watch the news? Do you feel insecure or scared? Some of you, you, you're in panic mode. It is an election year, and you're freaking out because if this party wins, the whole world's going to hell. And that may be true, but... It, it, if that happens, though, I know Jesus, I'm not going there. But if this party wins, the whole world's going to hell. I don't know. I just know, I just know I've got to step back. And while it's extremely important, and I hope you vote, and I hope you vote consistent with what Scripture teaches, because that is our calling as followers of Jesus. Do not take for granted the freedom we have that others shed their blood for so that we could vote. And as a follower of Christ, my vote is not about convenience. My vote is about conviction. And when I vote, I'm not going to tell you how to vote unless you want me to. When I vote, it's about what does the Word of God say and what candidate comes closest to that. And there are people that disagree about some of those issues. But the reality is, hey, I just don't get that worked up about it anymore, even though it's extremely important. I'm not minimizing the importance. I'm just elevating our Savior because the reality is there's never been an election where I was voting on a Savior. I already have one. And I trust God who has the world in his hands. And God will allow us to be stupid. I mean, look at the children of Israel over and over again. How stupid can you be? And like, we're on that expressway in this nation. Like, we're we're, we're speeding, but, but we're in trouble. But listen, God is God. And as long as there are people that worship him and call him God and stand for his truth and love him and love others, there is a hope for our nation and there is a great opportunity in the midst of garbage to reach people looking for hope. But, but you might need to just turn, hey, Jethro, turn the news off. Like God's still going to be God no matter what the stock market does. God's still going to be God no matter what a politician says. God is God. Some of you, you, you need a fast from social media. If when you look at Instagram or Facebook, and the research is astounding that it's coming out now. I'm not against social media. I'm not against the news. But I'm just saying for some of you, it's a struggle. 
and it creates a negativity in your thoughts and in your life. And when you see what somebody else put on Instagram and you think, I'm friends with them, why, did they, why didn't they invite me? They must not want me around. When, when you look at what super dad so-and-so grills for his family once a week and the picture he puts on on Instagram, hey, what you've got to remember about social media, we only put up the highlight reel. Nobody puts up real life. The least authentic thing in the world is social media. Nobody's putting up the real them. I mean, you take eight shots to make sure your fourth chin doesn't show. I mean, no, nobody's putting up the real thing. But we let that drive our feelings. And if social media makes you feel more lonely, if social media makes you feel more, uh, more depressed, more disconnected, if social media makes you feel like, well, I don't have as many friends as that, let, let me tell you something, let me tell you something. The people that you're connected with on social media, they ain't your friends. <laughs> I got 5,000 friends. No, you don't. 80% of them don't even know you. It was a friend of a friend, and you've connected, and because you've connected, I've got stop chasing numbers and start chasing God and watch for the value that he adds in your life. YouTube. Maybe you need to get off YouTube for, for a little bit for a season. Maybe you find yourself in that dark hole where the algorithm in YouTube is feeding you junk and it's destroying your thoughts and you're telling yourself negative things about you. Some of you, this one's hard, you need to take a fast from some of your friends. the people that you drink in criticism with every time you hang out. They're experts at criticizing other people. They're people that exp they're experts at criticizing other churches. They criticize this group and that group. You will become who you, th who you hang around and you will begin to think like who you hang around. Who are you allowing to influence you? It's one of the reasons community groups are so incredibly important. Man, I want the people closest to me to love Jesus and to love me. And I, I, I don't want to be around the guy that bashes his wife all the time. I don't want to be around the dad that complains about his kids all the time. I, I don't want to do it. If that's you, man, I love you. I'll be your pastor. I'll come see you when you get sick because you're going to get sick. You've got a negative mind. But, but we're not going to be best buddies. Like, it's not happening. I need people that encourage me to be the best I can be for Jesus. I, I need the people that encourage me. My, my wife deserves a husband way better than me, so my goal in life is to try to achieve something close to that. You deserve a pastor way better than Like, don't, listen, nobody knows more than me that I am completely unworthy to get to do what God's called me to do. I get that. But it causes me to have a desperation for God in my life, and, and I know how much I need him. And you can't let the negativity impact your thinking. You've got to pursue him and distance yourself from the things that cause you to replay all the negative stories you've been telling yourself. Stop writing a script that's less than the one God wrote for your life. So yeah, your thoughts are powerful, but you have power over your thoughts. Stop living as a victim and start taking control of the things you can control, and one of them is how you think. And you think better when you feed your mind and your soul some good news. You're created by God for a purpose. You're loved by God unconditionally. You're forgiven by God completely if you're a Christ follower. You're called by God eternally. So what are we going to do this week? It's very simple. No matter how you think, no matter which silo of negativity you have propensity for, or which two or three, or maybe all, here's the one thing we're going to do. Listen to God more than you listen to you. Listen to God more than you listen to you. Let the Word of God spend a few moments a day, start five or ten minutes, a few moments a day, spend time in the Word of God, and listen to God more than you listen to you. And when you start to tell you how bad you are, kick it out. If you walk in my home, and you sit down 
in the recliner and you start to tell me how bad I am or how bad my wife and kids are, you ain't staying long, Jack. And if I can't throw you out the door, I'm from Texas. I got a bunch of guns that they're never going to take, by the way. But that, that, listen, that's just reality. And I got a big dog. And, and so stop, stop letting those things move in and take a seat and, and talk to, kick it out. The Bible says take every thought captive. You don't have to live this negatively. Listen to God more than you listen to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are our hope, our only hope. And God, I thank you that you are more than enough for each and every one of us in this room. So Father, I pray for Christ followers in this room. I pray that your spirit would have revealed things to us this morning and as we roll through this week, we'll be mindful of that and we'll begin to take intentional, consistent steps, asking for your help in transforming our thinking. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. You've never prayed that prayer where you've invited Jesus to come into your life. Negative thinking is normal because we live in a negative world. What you need, what I need, is something not normal, but supernatural. You'll never be the person you'd love to be. You'll never have the hope fully that you can be the person you'd love to be. The man, the woman, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the student, the single adult. You'll never be who you want to be until you have a relationship with Jesus and allow him, the Spirit of God, to move inside you, transform your life, begin to transform your thinking, give you a home in heaven after this life, sins forgiven, and live inside you to walk with you day by day. Hey, if you've never invited Jesus to come into your life, man, today is your day. I can't think of a better time. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in this prayer of inviting Jesus to come into your life. But when this prayer is over, man, I love you, but... It's not you, me, and God. It's you and God. I, I, I'm just like when a pastor does a wedding and he, he helps the, the groom and the bride express to each other their vows. When the wedding's over, they're connected. When this prayer's over, you're connected personally with God. So just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Thank you for the way you love me. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe, but thank you for the way you love me. As best I know how, today I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.